Ooh, what's this in your RSS feed? Little surprise for free. Go on, have that. It's a present. Presents from me. Uh, this is Paul from the podcast. And we're going to have a little chat today. Well, quite a big chat. I've already done it. This I'm recording this the day after. About Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, and this is just to allow me to get my creative juices flowing. Oh, not the first time I've had a juice flow today. Don't, don't get too much into that. But um, <laughs> we're going to be talking about Justice League in a, in a more in-depth way than we would on the regular pod, which probably you have heard by now. I'm kind of like the Flash at the moment in, in Justice League because I'm going through different timelines at once now because although you, listener, have already listened, presumably, to episode 512, I think it is, uh, I actually haven't uh, edited it yet. So I, I'm existing in a pre-podcast world um, and you are existing in the future. How is it? Are people flying cars yet and all that? Let me know. So yeah, this is um, a tester of sorts, I suppose. So please uh, do let me know if you enjoy it, if it's the kind of thing um, you'd, you're into listening to, or if the lack of the funnier hosts on the podcast uh, makes your experience suffer a little bit. But um, And hopefully you have watched Justice League by this point, because this conversation is going to be full-on spoilers pretty much from the beginning. So, so sit down, put on the fire. Uh, I know it's March, whatever, but go on, stick on the fire anyway. Fire is lovely. Um, put your little toes up on the little, uh, what's it called? Footstool. Warm your toes like Hulk Hogan uh, in TNA. And uh, sit back and listen to me pick apart a film that I quite liked. Um, but we're going to get into the, the nitty gritty about what I liked, specifically what I didn't like in terms of like characters, scenes, uh, etc. Right. So enough of me talking. Uh, I will leave you with me from about three days ago when I was actually recorded this the first time. So enjoy and take care. strong enough. 
you can't bring down the charging bull, then don't wave the red cape at it. You were sent here for a reason. And even if it takes you the rest of your life, find out what that reason is. said the age of heroes will never come again. Zack Snyder's Justice League, um, a very long film, first of all. Uh, so um, we're going to go through it kind of systematically, talk about the characters, the certain scenes, um, things like that, what I liked about it, what I didn't like. And then at the end, we can have kind of our, our summary, what we thought about it overall. Uh, specifically in terms of how it works as a film <laughs> that is ostensibly in the middle of a series, you know, um, and where the DC Extended Universe can potentially go from here. Um, so we'll start with the basics. So for those unaware, I, I'm sure people have seen, most people listening to this will have seen the 2017 Joss Whedon version. But for those unaware... Uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League follows the uh, the eponymous team, Batman, Wonder Woman, Cyborg, Aquaman, and The Flash. Uh, and uh, later on, Superman. This is a spoiler cast, of course. Uh, I should have said that at the beginning. This is a spoiler cast. If you haven't watched the movie, I'm going to like talk about it. You're going to find out what happened in the end. Um, although, again, if you've seen the 2017 version, you <laughs> there's not too many surprises. Um Anyway, follows the Justice League as they attempt to save the world from the catastrophic threat of Darkseid uh, and his little peon, Steppenwolf, uh, and their army of parademons. Um, directed, of course, by Zack Snyder, a director that I, you know, don't have a real affinity for. Um, if I pull up his uh, filmography here, I'm not sure. That, I haven't seen all of his films. So I'm not speaking from a place of complete knowledge necessarily, but um, uh, of the movies I have seen, I am mostly negative, mostly negative on old Zack. Uh, I have not seen 2004's Dawn of the Dead, uh, though I know it features uh, Alex Zane of UK XFM Breakfast Show and MTV fame. Uh, in a small extra role. I've never I haven't seen Dawn of the Dead, never saw it. In fact, I've never seen any of the of the Dead films. I'm not a big zombie film guy. Um I've seen 300, 2007's 300, not a big fan of 300. Uh 2009's Watchmen, hated Watchmen. Uh saw that in the cinema in a little a little cinema in Drogheda, which is in County Meath or Louth. I'm not sure where Drogheda is. Saw the little cinema in Drogheda, um hated Watchmen. 
didn't didn't like a single thing about Watchmen. We could I could almost do an entire hour about Watchmen alone about how shite it is. Uh, never saw never saw Legends of the Legend of the Guardians: The Owls of Gahul. Never bothered seeing that one. Didn't miss Sucker Punch. Didn't see Sucker Punch. Uh, but since then, I have seen Man of Steel, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, uh, Justice League, and of course, Zack Snyder's Justice League. So I've seen all of the films that you would say are most uh, related to the one we're going to talk about today. So I've seen the the four superhero films, if you want to call them like that subcategory. I've seen Watchmen, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, and Justice League. Um, so actually, let's start off there. Let's start off with a little, the little background. Uh, I have pulled up my reviews here for each of the uh, the DC films um, from Letterboxd. So we'll start off with what I thought of Man of Steel because I, I think if we go through the the, the reviews that I wrote, that's going to give us a little bit of background as to my thoughts as I kind of came into this film. Um, so Man of Steel, uh, I wrote very disappointing. After we came out of the cinema, I likened the entire final fight scene to that extended Family Guy Peter Griffin versus the giant chicken scenes in that it just went on and on and on and on without either guy selling any sort of pain or injury. Uh, I get it's Superman and all, but it's hard to feel any empathy or to root for Superman uh, when watching what is essentially two emotionless robots just fight through buildings for 20 minutes. Uh, the Superman character is also incredibly dull, uh, and so uh, was this movie. I also thought the pacing was way too fast at the beginning, which is strange because by the end I felt like the movie was too long overall. The first act just felt like a sequence of events happening one after another with no uh, cohesive reason. Um, like they're just in the ice place now, because fuck it, and now they, they are, and now Clark cares for Lois, even though they just met, and so... I suppose in that sense, the pacing was a bit too fast for me. Um, there were too many little things like this in the movie which irked me, and in summation, uh, it was dull, overly long, and also very flawed. Um, now, I, one note that I made there that I didn't really expand on was the, the Superman character being very dull, and I suppose what I meant there is that, you know, typically Superman, certainly a Man of Steel, is portrayed as a kind of impervious, you know... Um, as as I mentioned, no selling character uh, that I couldn't feel empathy for, and so when you have a superhero who's so powerful, um, as RuPaul would say, what makes us fall in love with characters is vulnerability. Um, and although Man of Steel kind of dips its toe into that Lois and Clark relationship, um, I'm not sure that I felt much vulnerability from Superman in that film, and so I couldn't empathize or really love the character there um also isn't that the film or is it in batman vs superman when kevin costner dies in like a tornado in a really pointlessly um emotional but also a pointless death um yeah i, I don't have a great amount of uh, fondness for man of steel i gave it a three out of ten a star and a half um and i haven't rewatched it i've have not revisited any of these films since I saw uh, them in the cinema. Man of Steel, especially, I remember thinking was just the most boring. And I guess that's also in part to the fact that it was released in 2013, which was the year after the first Avengers film. So you already have, 
um, you already have the Avengers kind of by this stage firing on on all cylinders, right? Um, whereas this was kind of the first the first movie, not only in the DC extended universe, but the first movie after Nolan's Batman. And so in a sense, taking both of those into consideration, I was really going to be not hard pressed, but I had like high expectations for Man of Steel and I really struggled to meet them. And going on then to Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Um, I wasn't so harsh on that. Didn't love it, but um, as you'll see, I liken it to another movie that is mostly held in very low regard. Batman vs Superman, a bit more of a, sh- uh, a succinct, concise review here, I say. Even with its numerous flaws, I couldn't bring myself to hate this one. Uh, I called it the X-Men Origins Wolverine of the DC Extended Universe, in that it's objectively bad, but that I kind of enjoyed the majority of it, despite its you know shortcomings. Uh, although I did say the last act with Doomsday was utter trash. Uh, gave that one a 5 out of 10. Two and a half stars. Um, so Man of Steel, I feel retrospectively, is the film that actually gets the most hate of the three. The third being Justice League. Um, and I, I kind of yeah, I kind of feel like if if Batman vs Superman was the one that had Joss Whedon involvement, it obviously doesn't because it's a very Zack Snydery movie. But that's almost the film that I feel like people should be <laughs> complaining about and asking for a recut of. Um, yeah, I don't have too much to say about Batman vs. Superman. Obviously, there's the the Martha scene, the infamous Martha scene. Uh, Superman dies at the end with the kryptonite spear, fighting Doomsday. Um, but yeah, I don't have a lot to say about Batman vs. Superman. I, like I said, I, I kind of fell in the middle somewhere on it. I gave it a 5 out of 10. Didn't really like it or dislike it. And I suppose that's kind of, in terms of being memorable, that's kind of the worst place a film can be, isn't it? Um, not not a super memorable film anyway, just kind of blew past me. Uh, and then we come to 2017's Justice League. Um, again, a short review. I just say, can we just be done with apocalyptic interplanetary villains slash landscapes? Feel like I've seen the last half hour of this film 30 times. Henry Cavill's lip. Jesus Christ, what was that? Rest was fine. Five out of ten. So yeah, I, I remember even Justice League. I think even though I gave Justice League and Batman vs Superman five each, I think I came out of Justice League feeling like it was objectively the best of the three, even though it was the biggest hodgepodge, as we'll get into the whole uh, Joss Whedon getting involved after the really tragic events, uh, which happened to Zack Snyder and his family. Um, Yeah, just like despite that mishmash of styles, um, I don't know, Matt... I wouldn't even say that Justice League like worked for me the best. It was just the least offensively dull, <laughs> which is a big problem that I have with uh, Zack Snyder's movies overall. Is that I've just find they have just an an inert, an innate well, inert is is actually a an appropriate um, <laughs> slip of the tongue, but like an innate uh, dullness, an innate inertness that uh, I find difficult to connect with. Um, but anyway, that's kind of your background. And then obviously, as I said, this is the third film 
in the Snyderverse of DC Extended Universe films. So discounting Wonder Woman. Um, I, I, I'm, sure, I'm actually not sure if Wonder Woman came... I'm sure Wonder Woman probably was between Batman v Superman and Justice League, at least. Wasn't it? Was, was Batman v Superman the introduction of Wonder Woman? Must have been. And then they did Wonder Woman. Um, I like Wonder Woman. I thought Wonder Woman was pretty good. Hated Wonder Woman... What was it? 20, no, 1984. Didn't like that at all. Um, as I talked about very recently, if you listen to the podcast. Um, but yeah, this... Counting only the Zack Snyder films, as a lot of the fans seem to do, they seem to think, and potentially rightfully so, they seem to think that you know Snyder should really be hands-on with all of the DC <laughs> movies, which, depending on how uh, spread out the universe gets, is potentially going to be a lot of work for him. But um, the third film, following Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman, uh, as, I, as I touched on, there was... Um, Sad events which required Zack Snyder to uh, leave the production of Justice League, and which was taken over by Joss Whedon, who, as I also mentioned, had just come off the directing Avengers uh, in 2012, known in Europe as Avengers Assemble uh, for some reason, due to uh, right issues and all that, I'm sure. Um, and then, as has come out lately, there were allegations of uh, abuse uh, against Joss Whedon, specifically uh, as pertains to the reshoots of Justice League. And uh, one one story that's really come out of that is Ray Fisher, who plays Cyborg. Uh, the allegations he made, not only against Whedon, but against um, Walter Hamada, who is the head of DC Films. And that's allegedly uh, going to have Ray Fisher removed from... A cameo appearance in The Flash, which is scheduled to release next year. Um, so we'll see about we'll see what what happens with that. Um, and so uh, and then of course we have the fan campaign behind the release of the Snyder Cut, N- more due to the reaction of how. Justice League was received by fans. Um, there's been, it feels like for years and years now. I know this, like, okay, Justice League came out 2017. It's now 2021. So, whew, Snyder Cut was announced. When was Snyder Cut officially renounced, uh, announced? Was not uh, May 2020. So, we're talking almost a year ago now. Was there, yeah, what would it have been like two full years of Snyder? It feels like longer to me, to be honest. It feels like that Snyder cut campaign went on for about five years. Um, so it was a big fan campaign. Obviously, lots of money spent producing the uh, the new version on whatever they whatever they spent that money on reshoots or uh special effects specifically or that super self-indulgent uh <laughs> plug scene that we'll get to in a little bit and that's probably where the majority of the, the the money went to be honest um so let's talk about the movie we spent now 15 minutes talking around the movie itself let's get to the movie um so let's start with the character stuff right so obviously this is a movie that that features a very big cast um it's a four-hour movie. They got to get people in there to uh, to fill it up. 
So we'll start with the head honcho himself, Batman, played by Ben Affleck, as he was in the other films. Um, Batman's a strange one in this film. I feel like... Not that I don't like Ben Affleck as Batman. Because I think his performance is pretty good, actually. I think he's pretty good in the film. But there's something about the relationship he has with Alfred specifically. And I guess how he how he is elsewhere in the film. Is he too subdued? Is that what it is? Um, Batman, to me, along with Superman, although, you know, for obvious reasons, Superman isn't in the majority of the film. Batman, to me, should really feel like the figurehead of the Justice League. And outside of the, the early parts of the movie where he's recruiting the various other metahumans, I think they call them in the film, Outside of that, once the the team is actually assembled, I don't know that Batman ever feels to me like the leader of the Justice League, as opposed to one of the six cogs in the machine. I would actually say that Wonder Woman feels like the the, the front and center of the team. And actually, we get on to Wonder Woman, but I feel like Wonder Woman feels like the most established character in the movie as well. Um, They don't do a lot of world... I mean, I suppose you get a lot of stuff happening in... um, wherever, the Amazonian island or whatever, wherever she's from, I forget the name of it. There's not, but there's not a huge amount of world or character building for for Wonder Woman specifically. I feel like Wonder Woman kind of shows up ready-made. She's like out of the box, fully Wonder Woman. And you get her character and she feels important and she feels fleshed out. Batman, I don't know why, it's, it's kind of like, God, I guess, like, you know, in wrestling, they say, you know, a good referee, you you don't even notice they're there. (laughs) Is that how good Ben Affleck is? He's such a good actor. He he almost merges into the background of the scenes. (laughs) I, I don't know what it is. I just feel like Batman never feels as important as as Batman should feel. You know, when there's action going on, he feels like he's fighting in the background that's specifically true of the um the scene towards the end where they're where they're in russia and they're fighting the parademons and batman is just shooting his little grappling hooks around while the flash is running around uh building up this superhuman charge of electricity and cyborg is is in um getting into the 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 mother box and uh you know, Wonder Woman and Aquaman are flying around helping Batman. Batman's just driving around in his car and <laughs> shooting at demons. You know, like Batman, I don't know. I understand at the same time that Batman doesn't actually have powers. As they say in the film, what's your superpower? What's your superpower? I'm rich. And yet, he almost feels like the least important character um, in, the, in the team, which is uh, something I did not expect. Uh, as we mentioned, Wonder Woman... However you feel about Gal Gadot and her performance in the various movies she appears in. Um, I must say I didn't hate her in this. Uh, I don't know why that is. I, I really noticed in Wonder Woman 84, like she is not good in it. <laughs> she is a bad actress who... Um, like another character in this film that we'll get to, a very small character, admittedly, um, Ryan Choi, who's played by 
uh, Zhang Kai, who is the uh, that he's the character who's like the working with uh, Cyborg's father in the labs. Uh, like him, Gal Gadot has a tendency to sound like she's speaking words phonetically that she doesn't understand. But I know that she does speak English. <laughs> but she sounds very not in the moment, if that makes any sense. Uh, but despite her performance, and like I said, in this film, I thought she was fine. Um, Wonder Woman feels like the the, the most established, uh, well-rounded, well-written character in the film. Uh, her action scenes are memorable. Uh, we'll get to that when we're talking about scenes. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually a big fan of Wonder Woman in this film. I think she is uh, one of, probably the most, <laughs> the best character in the film. Uh, Cyborg obviously has a lot more to do in this uh, cut of the film than he did in the 2017 version. Uh, and again, if you want to get into the allegations made against uh, Joss Whedon, uh, you can maybe read into why that might be. Nevertheless, uh, Cyborg um, gets his like full backstory here. Um, but, and it comes with a but, is his backstory even that interesting or, or, or original? You know, I'm not, I'm not so sure that it is. Like, okay, we, we have a much better understanding now of Cyborg. Um, uh, and yet, I feel like there still could have been little extra like details given to make us really understand his motivations as a character. Outside of his dad didn't come to his game, like you know, jingle all the way. I'm coming, I'm coming to the karate. Um, the mother dies in a car crash indirectly as a result of that. He has like issue, daddy issues. Then I suppose. Um, the father then sacrifices himself. Then cyborg's like, oh, I like my dad now. Uh, you know, it's it's. It's all a little bit simple, um, and I wish they did a few, a few more things to really make us kind of get cyborg. And one thing in sp this is maybe a, a nitpick, which fair enough. But there's one thing which is that cyborg, and I I'm I'm thinking this is more like an X Men apocalypse deal, which I'll get. I'll, you, you'll understand what I mean in a second. Um, which is that cyborg wears his hoodie quite a lot of the time and what I mean by X-Men Apocalypse is like in X-Men Apocalypse and I guess uh, what was the last one? Dark Phoenix um, Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique and Nicholas Holt as Beast are just humans for the majority of the film and what I mean is they're not like blue people because they obviously weren't fucking arsed sitting in um makeup for four hours every day and when you're jennifer lawrence you can say look i'm not fucking sitting I'm, mystique is just is, is it looks like a person <laughs> for now for the majority of the film um and i'm sure like that when you reach a point where it's more effort to have mystique be blue for the whole film you just are like all right mystique just change can change change her appearance um, she just she just changes into a normal person uh, to save them having to do um, hours of makeup, uh, CGI, and also spend the time doing those. So I, I, you know, I get it. I get it. 
Cyborg here wears his hoodie, which I assume, but maybe wrongly, but I assume is so that they don't have to CGI his whole body the whole time. But allowing for that, uh, and again, maybe a nitpick, but allowing for that, I was thinking maybe you could have some, and they don't need to even like say it explicitly, but just like a little, a little thing where you show this hoodie has some sentimental value to Cyborg, whether it's uh, the one thing he had in common with his father, uh, you know, is, is of a football team or something, and you have a little scene of them watching together the game, and th- that's the only thing they have in common. And so he wears this hoodie, and so it has a sentimental value to him. We get why he wears it. And, and also, in addition to the hoodie, we then understand this aspect of Cyborg's kind of psyche, right? Is that he ha- he's a robot <laughs> for all intents and purposes, but he has this emotional side that he's retained, and that's why he wears the hoodie. We get that, you know? And, I mean, I, I also get the, the idea that Cyborg wears the, the hoodie as a kind of, you know, when the Ninja Turtles would go out to New York City and wear their trench coats as if that would, like... These guys, green legs are sticking out. What the fuck are these people? I understand that it's it's partially a disguise, I guess. But I would I would just like there to be like you know every little detail have a little idea behind it, a little touch of care. I forget who said it. I think I heard it from Mark Kermode, who's like a BBC film critic. That he's he 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 said. I, I don't know that he originally said it. Someone said it. But that like every shot of a film is you know thought about every shot of the film is done with it's like has a is, is a comment you know so the fact that he wears this hoodie i would like there to be some it, it to be a statement of some kind or it to be a, a character um thing of some kind you know anyway cyborg i like cyborg in the film uh he, there's a, again a nitpick because i understand he's a cyborg i understand he's a mechanical man but when he talks, his jaw does a little mechanical that <laughs> would break the immersion for me a little bit every time I'd see him talk. Um, who else did I like? And by the way, what I'm doing here is I'm not going through necessarily the uh, the Justice League, but I'm going through people who were good in the film or characters that were good. Um, Superman. Uh, I, I, I feel like I, I, I got his resurrection more this time. I understood his re- resurrection more this time. The the why, the how, um, and the aftermath. I felt like that was a lot more cohesive and I, I, I kind of was able to follow it along. Not that it was, you know, confusing, but I don't know. This, this, this time around, it just felt a lot more cohesive. I mean, for instance, I really liked the start of the film where you have Superman dying... Uh, at the end of Batman v Superman and his kind of death shout or whatever you want to call it is like echoing across the world almost like um, a call to the Justice League almost like a what do you want to call it a, uh, a pre uh, preliminary <laughs> I don't know the word pre uh, preemptive kind of um, call to arms to the Justice League members before you know, Batman goes out and and uh, Wonder Woman gets them back one by one. But like even visually, I thought that uh, and and au- and audibly as well, thought that scene was really well done, and sets up right at the beginning of the film Superman as an important um, character, despite the fact that he's not in the film for the first after that scene at least for the first like three hours, and then when he's 
you know, resurrected. He's obviously a, a force of nature, but right at the start of the film, that first, like, whatever it is, three minutes, um, really does a good job of, of uh, putting the little seed in your brain of, like, the, 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 the death of Superman has real kind of... Um, real ramifications and a real effect to all the characters like that moment that singular moment has kind of changed changed the world and changed all of the the characters worlds everyone who's felt um the death of superman and of course that that then sets in motion the uh, events of this movie where his death shout kind of is what causes the mother boxes to um come to life or you know, get the little crack in him, and that's what causes Steppenwolf to come, and yada, yada, yada. Um, um, why he was important to to resurrect him. Like, all that worked for me more this time around. Um, I think Henry Cavill is perfectly serviceable as Superman. He's not got a ton of charisma, um, and that's especially felt in Man of Steel. But I think he's fine. I think he's fine. Um, Lois Lane... Uh, she has like scenes interspersed throughout the movie. Uh, at first, I thought it was a little underdone. Like she'd have a little scene here where she's bringing coffee to the police officer, and you don't quite get at first what that is. But it's the fact that she's visiting the uh, Superman memorial, uh, and she's not going to work. You, like you find out these things. She hasn't been. She hasn't been to the daily planet since uh the death of superman so you get these things of what the character is going through um a weird a really weird scene about halfway through where she gets visited by superman's mother martha and she's talking about how she's lost the farm that clark grew up on it's been and you see that's been foreclosed um lois is saying okay you can move in with me uh she says no don't worry about that i got a little place down by the diner and they have this like nice heart to heart talk. Um, Martha saying that you know everyone everyone knew Superman, but nobody really knew Clark and how important Clark was, except except me and you, Lois. And they have this little moment. That's very nice. And you you understand why the characters are having this moment because you understand that they're kind of two two isolated people in the world who have this one connection. And and so it's important for both of, both of them. To meet up and have this talk. And then in the weirdest cowboy switch, Martha leaves and you find out that it wasn't Martha at all. It was um, Martian Manhunter pretending to be Martha. And he does something like a uh, Godspeed Lois. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, they, it felt like they had done the scene with Martha as written. And then. They were like, well, we got to fucking get Martian Manhunter in this film somewhere. Uh, he was Martha. Even though it took a scene that had real kind of weight to it and real reason for existing and turned it into a completely nonsensical <laughs> scene. Completely stupid. And anyway, Martian Manhunter shows up again at the end anyway. So what was the point of doing it here? I do not get why that was done that way that was very silly to me um but lois lane overall amy adams is very good in as she has a tendency to be one thing that i didn't quite feel 
this time around. This may be the one thing that I felt more in the original Justice League was the the point of Lois Lane being important. You know, in Batman v Superman, you get that moment where the Flash appears and says, oh, Lois Lane is the key. Da, da, da. And you find out in Justice League that Lois Lane is kind of the key to getting Superman his memory back after he's resurrected. I didn't quite get that this time around where Lois Lane fit in. She just kind of appears at the uh, at the monument when, when Superman is resurrected. She just kind of appears and Superman flies off with her. But it never feels like she is the ace in the hole that the Justice League kind of enact their plan. Not in a bad way, but you know. Lois, they, that they have brought Lois Lane there to um, to assist, you know, to get Superman where he needs to be. It just feels like a coincidence that she's there. It doesn't feel like it was something that was um, orchestrated by virtue of Batman receiving that message from the Flash. And maybe it was. Maybe that's what the film was trying to convey, but I didn't feel that from watching the film this time. So that felt a little bit off. Uh, and then we get to the the most improved character of the film. This is the award I'm giving out. Uh, and that goes to Steppenwolf, the villain of the film, who in the first one, completely undercooked, looked like ass. Um, this time around, totally felt like a character that worked. Um, when I first saw the, the tweets that come out with the new Steppenwolf design... I thought he looked ridiculous um, and not in a good way with the spiky suit and the big hammerhead ears or whatever they are. Um, he looked like <laughs> he looked like a deviant art wet dream. Um, but watching the film, like you totally get Steppenwolf as a layered, like three-dimensional character, which is not something you could say about the original Justice League, where he was just a PlayStation 3 uh, Dark Souls character come to life, uh, and not in a good way. Here, he, like, you understand where he fits in the hierarchy of the villains. He has, like, the backstory that he he's kind of been, you know, banished, and he's fighting for his redemption. Um, so you understand why this, this story is happening. Uh, and he kind of like has a character arc. By the end of the film, you know, he's, he's, he's not necessarily who he was at the beginning. Um, he obviously is, is then killed at the end, which then in itself plays into Darkseid. And Darkseid, he's going to obviously progress then into future films um, off the back of this. So Steppenwolf has a, a satisfying character uh, story which he didn't in the first one. Um, I think the look of the character kind of, you know, overall works. When when I when I initially saw it, I didn't like it. When you when you when you watch Zack Snyder's Justice League and then revisit the look of Steppenwolf from the twenty seventeen one, ooh, he looks stupid. <laughs> he looks real bad. Um but big, big thumbs up to what they did with Steppenwolf in this one. Really, really got the character, understood completely his dynamic as the villain of the film. Big, big thumbs up. Uh, let's get to the bad, the bad characters of the film. Um, Ezra Miller, what an annoying person. <laughs> no, 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 not as a person, not as a person. I don't know, I don't know Ezra Miller. But um, the Flash is just so obnoxious. Um, the performance was annoying, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, he's the comic relief of the film. 
very very unfunny <laughs> very very annoying in a bart simpson kind of way um i said that about deadpool when i saw the first deadpool which i didn't like but i like deadpool too but i didn't like the first deadpool and what i said about um deadpool in that film was it was like bart simpson was the lead character of a film now bart simpson the simpsons uh is fine but you can't just have constant bart or he just is so grating bart simpson is annoying um and ezra miller although he's not like front and center or the flash barry whatever his name is he's not front and center of the film necessarily but every time he makes a little uh witty remark or a little joke oh my god they land with a leaden thud he is very unfunny very unfunny in the film what i will say about the flash though is i did really like his kind of introductory scene where they i won't say you know brazenly stole from the x-men fox's x-men movies but this scene felt very like quicksilver in days of future past apocalypse dark phoenix where everything in the world is slowed down to an almost you know one frame per second speed and he's able to move around. Then you see the character. Like, I, I, I know that they did the Superman fight scene in the in the 2017 one. But I don't. I didn't feel like it was so inspired by the Quicksilver scenes as the the Iris West scene uh, in this one. Uh, and I really liked. So he's gone for a job interview at this like pet store, and there's a car accident outside with the girl that he just that kind of bumped into, and he goes out and save the day so i like i like that you see the character using his powers you see him save the day in typical superhero fashion uh the scene itself was visually very very cool very interesting oh no i've said very cool i've done the 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 cliche the all-time cliche very cool uh but i thought it was cool uh but after that the flash is is a mostly annoying character and i particularly didn't like at the end of the film this is maybe touching on scenes a little bit which we still have to come but at the end of the film where he is running around uh the russian base operations for uh steppenwolf which by the way looked like a big old bollock a big old testicle but he's running around there and uh cyborg has his fingers in the the box Ooh, hello um and there's like a, a really bad miscommunication with them where He's do- Cyborg's doing like a 3-2-1 countdown and then Steppenwolf kind of steps in and, and blocks him out. But then suddenly you have like Cyborg, once he gets back to the box, he can't like hear Flash. Flash can't hear him. And there's a big miscommunication which causes, you know, causes badness to happen until Superman shows up to save the day. And so that was a little bit annoying. That was that was le- less a Flash-specific thing but kind of a, an issue of maybe the writing of the film. Um, I talked about uh, Zhang Kai, Chinese actor who was kind of, dare I say, shoehorned in. Um, uh, he's he horrible, horrible in it. <laughs> like, oh, line reading like he's reading off an auto cue. Like, terrible. Um, J.K. Simmons as chief, uh, not chief, what is he? Uh, Gordon. Um, I forget his rank. What's Gordon? What's Gordon? He's not like Chief Inspector Gordon. No. What is he? What are you, Gordon? What's your job? 
Commissioner Gordon. Of course it's Commissioner Gordon. Good Lord. What a fucking brain fart that was. Uh, J.K. Simmons. Miscast, I feel, as as Gordon. Um, He's, okay, he's not in it a lot anyway. But it feels like when he's on screen, he's almost having to rein in the J.K. Simmons-ness, that essence of himself. Um, I don't think his his kind of booming voice, his his energy, I don't think was right for Commissioner Gordon here. Um, is that wig as well? Oh, what the fuck was that? Um, and then we get to the water people, Aquaman. Aquaman, kind of the most undercooked f- character in the film. Um, again, I'm not sure if we had had Aquaman the film yet at this point. I think we hadn't. I think Aquaman came after this, after the 2017 Justice League. But he feels very undercooked in the film. He's, you know, obviously he's the hunky eye candy for the Gertles and the gays and the buys and anyone else who'd be into that. But like he he's just the kind of the, the meathead who goes like my man or badass and like spout he's spouting um tap out or affliction style meaningless platitudes um i mean performance wise he was fine he's he's you know momo was charismatic enough to to carry it off but i didn't think there was much character stuff there at all for him uh, and then the worst uh performance of the film amber heard and her horrible horrible accent um she's half british or she's British half of the time, and she's American the other half of the time, and it's completely random at which point those times will appear. Um, dreadful, dreadful Amber Heard. Um, and Amber Heard and, and um, Johnny Depp have their court case and their thing. I don't have any necessarily any personal animosity against either of them as far as their acting goes or performances go, but I thought Amber Heard was the shits in this film. Uh, so that's kind of the character stuff covered. We then have the uh, yeah, little scenes I want to touch on. Um, so, you know, the first two hours or so of, of the four hour and two minute movie uh, is all about kind of the, the setup of the Justice League. Um, counter pointed by Steppenwolf arriving on Earth and trying to collect the mother boxes. And though it kind of takes its time for these two hours... Um, I don't know that the film feels particularly flabby or or bloated, which is a criticism that I've seen um, levied against it, which, of course, you're going to see against a four-hour film. But definitely those first two hours where kind of the pieces are being put in place, I didn't feel like it was particularly um, flabby or, like, artificially longer than it needed to be. I thought the scenes were perfectly, you know, as long as they needed to be for me to kind of get who the characters were, why they need to be together, what was happening. Um, maybe some of the the scenes of like, you know, where Steppenwolf arrives again in the, the Amazonian world and they're like knocking with the big hammers, knocking the pillars out and he's chasing them and they're running, riding on horses. Maybe that stuff was like a little bit, a little bit longer than it needed to be. But generally speaking, I, I wasn't, you know, looking at the watch going, Jesus fucking Christ, can we get a move on here? No, honestly, I, I thought the pacing of the movie overall was pretty good. That's maybe partially 
due to it being broken up into like seven distinct sections. So you have like part one through six, and then you have epilogue, which by the way, when epilogue came up on the screen, that got a hearty laugh out of me because it's just so obvious about it. It's like, all right, here's, here is literally the epilogue bit. <laughs> Let's go. Here we go. Um, of course, made me think of Lord of the Rings, which is actually something that I, I think the movie overall has a kind of distinct Lord of the Rings feel to it, not only in its length, but ah, some of the some of the the look and some of the action, some of the feel and the tone of the movie just just reminded me of Lord of the Rings in some ways. But more specifically, Lord of the Rings and Return of the King, uh, infamous for its really long, uh, pointlessly long epilogue. Um, well, let me tell you, Justice League <laughs> nearly pulls the carpet from under its feet in that aspect. Um, but the first two hours didn't feel too flabby to me. Felt uh, pretty good. Uh, you have Bruce Wayne, uh, played by Ben Affleck, as we said. He's going to recruit Arthur Curry, going to recruit Barry Allen. Um, I like the scene where he meets Aquaman in the, the little um, pub by the the harbour there. Um, I thought that was pretty good. I liked how it looked. I like kind of the the seaside uh, gray blueness to the look. I, I, I thought it looked pretty good. Um, meets Barry Allen, the Flash. Uh, the the scene where he throws the uh, the what do you call that thing? Bat the batarang at him. Thought that was good. Uh, didn't have the uh, the goofy flash uh quips of the of the uh, 2017 one is like a cave for a bet or whatever he says a stupid shite um diana then meets with victor stone again victor stone's story at this point is much more fleshed out so feels more cohesive he initially turns him down but then he he he, he does quickly show up and joins the team uh, as far as mother boxes go for uh being like the MacGuffins. Um they definitely feel very MacGuffin-y, of course, but in a in a more satisfying way than you mostly see in your your Marvel films. Um because there was kind of a progression there. We understood why the three needed to be collected. We understood what would happen when the three were united. They then merge. Um so all that was very clear. Um sometimes with MacGuffins and I'm going to say this is particularly true of uh, Thor, The Dark World, which is the worst of the Marvel films, if you ask me. Uh, was it like the ether or something? Wasn't that the thing that they're trying? I, I had no fucking idea what was going on in that film with the, the get the black goo and the dark elves. Oh, what? Fucking shite, lad. But here... I totally got the mother boxes why they're important albeit the look of them was a bit a bit remin too reminiscent of stuff we've seen elsewhere with the uh what's what was the blue thing from avengers called i don't fucking remember i don't pay enough attention to these films but you know we, we've kind of seen that that uh black box with like moving box mcguffin i feel like i've seen that 10 times before so in terms of its design a little bit derivative but i i i, I was in favor you know, i liked the story i liked how it was all kind of set up and how it all paid off and of course that i got used in the resurrection of superman as well uh, and of the resurrection of uh, cyborg and um, slow motion one thing about the use of slow motion now obviously Zack snyder loves a bit of slow-mo loves a bit of slow motion 
But when you have a superhero whose kind of power is that he can move in slow motion, well, he, he's moving very quickly, uh, the Flash, does the constant use of slow motion diminish the Flash's power at all? Not in terms of, you know, not in terms of the movie uh, context, but, like, as a viewer, uh, and this is particularly true of, like, Wonder Woman and Superman, right? So Wonder Woman, there's a scene... Really, probably one of the better scenes in the movie, right? Um, where you have the Michael McElhatton, who's uh, an actor you might rec- have recognized. Uh, he's in Game of Thrones. Um, I think he's like, was he Reese Bolton in Game of Thrones? I don't remember. Um, but he's also in a great Irish film called Intermission. If people haven't checked that out, very good Irish film. Uh, there's a scene at the bank where he's he and a group of cronies, uh, for all intents and purposes, look like they're going to rob a bank. But what turns out is that it's a it's a terrorist act. They're going to blow up four blocks of wherever that bank is located. Um, and Wonder Woman appears, and you know they have they have kids there uh, that are going to be killed, and so you know you feel like a real sense of threat. when you get children involved, you feel a real sense of threat there. Um, I don't remember if the kids were in the that scene in the original one, um, but I remember this time around feeling like it, it was a lot more intense than it was previously. Wonder Woman shows up anyway, as I said, and the point here is that he, uh, Michael McElhatton's character, uh, is trying to shoot the kids anyway because his his plan's been foiled. Wonder Woman sh- threw the bomb up in the air, a la Batman in the sixties. And he's going to shoot the kids anyway. Well, fuck it. You follow the plan, I'm going to kill these kids. And Wonder Woman is able to move at, like, superhuman speed and block the bullets with her gauntlets, right? And then you have later on, as I, as I mentioned already, the Superman Flash fight where, like Apocalypse, um, who can kind of... who who blocks Quicksilver in his attempt to use his speed against them. Superman is able to, uh, like almost not quite but almost move as fast as the flash and my thought was like okay so if you're if you're constantly using slow motion in the film to like accentuate your action scenes and then you have two other characters who can for all intents and purposes move at superhuman speed does that diminish the the importance of the flash character um now obviously at the end the flash can can literally move faster than the speed of light and like turn back time okay that's fine but generally speaking um i would have maybe rolled back a little bit on scenes where like wonder woman (laughs) moves superhumanly fast just to accentuate like look the flash is the one with this power um and to differentiate the flash as important from the other superheroes Uh, i really liked that scene at the bank though i thought it was really really well done um and like i said intense and felt like there was a real sense of threat there uh, obviously, there were um, feelings brought up of the scene from The Dark Knight at the beginning where the Joker robs the bank. There's certain shots that reminded me of that. But that was one of the better done set pieces in the film, I thought. Uh, as far as set pieces go, I thought uh, location-wise, I thought the look of the, the, the different places were a bit too similar. And specifically what I mean is there's the the early... Um, action scene or early I say early in this goddamn four hour long film but there's the earlier scene at like uh, where they find out that Steppenwolf's 
initial base of operations like under Gotham Harbor. That's where they've been kind of going from. And so they go down there and fight Steppenwolf. And then later in Russia, where the big bollock um, fortress, I think they call it, is. I thought those two scenes just looked the same. Like they had that uh, rusty brown color palette everywhere. Um, And like to the point that when after I'd watched the film, I was thinking back to those earlier scenes. I was like, where were they fighting Steppenwolf? Was that the same place? But it wasn't. It was under Gotham Harbor. But like they look the same. They have the same um, color palette, as I said. Same shape to the the areas where they're in. Um, so that was a bit of a, a pain point for me as a viewer. Um, as I touched on earlier, that Martha scene where Martian Manhunter shows up and why did that happen I still don't understand um oh one more thing sorry I forgot in regards to the the second uh and and kind of climactic fight scene in Russia um so they show up they have they they explain in great detail their plan in advance um where they say okay Barry you're going to run around real fast and build up a charge and uh, uh, Cyborg's going to go in and he's going to go into the mother box and from the inside kind of uh, undo the unification of the boxes. And Usually when that happens in a film where they, the characters or the, the protagonists explain in such great detail their plan, it's so that kind of the carpet can be pulled from underneath your feet as a viewer and that the plan then has to go in a different direction. So you understand the point, the, the steps up to a point, and then the characters have to adapt. Something else has happened, and so you, as a viewer, are like surprised. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm caught up in the the, the happenings. I don't. This is unpredictable. I don't know where, what's going to happen, where it's going to go. Uh, whereas here, um, they explain in great te- great detail what's going to happen, and then that happens, <laughs> albeit with a brief moment where Steppenwolf like picks up Cyborg, interrupting his countdown. But then Superman appears, fights him, and then they go back to the plan. And so the plan, uh, as explained, is almost a spoiler because that's literally what happens. Um, so I would have maybe cut that exposition down a little bit. Do we need to hear and advance the plan or can they just, like, do it? Um, speaking of exposition, there's one bit where the cyborg's father sacrifices himself, right, to allow the superheroes to find out where the... Uh, mother boxes are being kept right so the father is in the lab he's 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 put the the mother box under his jacket he's he's brought into the lab uh steppenwolf is coming in with his axe chopping down doors and whatnot and the father turns this like b laser beam on that's shooting into the box we we as viewers don't understand why what what's happening what that laser is and then there's like this, oh, the worst exposition dump you'll have heard since like Inception, where Cyborg is like, he wasn't trying to destroy it. He was trying to superheat it. He was trying to make it the hottest thing in the world. And Batman is like, oh, that means we can find it on a thermal seeker machine. I've got one of them in me lab. Let's go. And it was like, I've paraphrased it, but it was like six or seven sentences of complete jargon mumbo jumbo in in the space of about 10 seconds <laughs> and it's like uh, you know, Zack Snyder sometimes I feel like has these ideas that conceptually are good but that he struggles to put on film in a cohesive 
sense-making way. Um, more on that later. Um, yeah, so w when they're fighting in Russia, anyway, the, in the scene I'm talking about, it's it, it's preceded by about what felt like 10 minutes. Maybe it wasn't quite that much, but like 10 minutes of fighting parademons as Batman's driving around in his car, as I mentioned. Um, and I felt like that was a little too long. That was the only moment of the film where the eyes did wander down towards the old clock. And I was like, right, we've been fighting parademons for 10 minutes. Are we going to get to the bit where the mother box is? That was a little bit too long. And that was another scene that felt very Lord, Lord of the Ringsy. Felt a little bit like the Battle of Helm's Deep, which was just like, okay, we action for action's sake with no real story development. Okay, let's after ten minutes of that, you, you okay? Let's get moving. Let's let's go to the next thing, please. Um, and then finally, we come to the epilogue. So, you get a redone version of uh, Lex Luthor escaping from Arkham. And meeting with uh, Joe Mantinello's character, who I don't remember his name, um, on a boat. Now that that scene where uh, Luther escapes Arkham is probably my favorite scene in the entire film, and probably like the most memorable and most iconic scene of the film, where you get security guard releasing everyone, I guess, for recess or whatever, and Luther, or what appears to be Luther, stays in his cell. Uh, but facing away from the camera. So you only see like the back of his bald head and he's in like a straight jacket. Um, security guard goes up to him. Luther, come on, get out. I'm going to have to come in there. Da, da, da. And then it's turned around. It's not Lex Luthor. It's this other patient who starts, you know, maniacally kind of laughing. I don't know what it is about. It's just like it's an inherently kind of spooky <laughs> scene. It, it puts you at, at an unease. And then you it cuts to like Luther on this yacht. It's like, oh, okay. All the all the feeling of that previous shot is is now gone. <laughs> he meets with uh, the one-eyed. Uh, I don't remember the name of the character, as I said. Um, and then it goes to this. Well, first it goes to various other little like, and then the character did this, and then Aquaman jumped back in the sea, and Cyborg, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but then you get this like really long scene where you're not sure initially what's happening but you're in another universe or like a future scene where Batman is with John Mantinello's character uh, who looks different he's got like a mohawk he's with Amber Heard um, Cyborg Flash and, and the Joker uh, shoehorned into this movie by Zack Snyder <laughs> for this one scene. Is there anyone else with them? I think that's mostly it. And anyway, what 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 transpires is that like Superman has is, has turned bad, uh, because of what happened to Lois Lane, she's been killed. Um, who else been killed? Harley Quinn's been killed. Like they 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 allude to characters who have been killed and various events that have happened that have led to uh, them being there as they approach uh, to fight Superman. Superman then appears, and he's like, bad, I feel bad, Superman. And it's, it's as you find out, it's one of these, like, nightmare scenes, as, as we saw in Batman v Superman. Nightmare with a K. Um, mostly pointless, 
very self-indulgent. Um, allegedly, what a lot of the money was spent on for the Snyder Cut, including this scene. Um, and I'm still not quite sure what the point of it was. Um, I think it would have been cool. Cool, there we go again. If they had not included it in the film, and instead this was released in like a year's time, out of, out of the blue. I think it's something that really could have gone very viral. Um, and I like the idea of the nightmare scenes being scenes that don't necessarily happen in the universe in which the film takes place, but that can, you know, that can allude to thematic or character stuff kind of in a Lost way. Obviously, I'm watching Lost at the moment, so I'm, I'm all about Lost, but... With Lost, you know, you have people on the island and then you have flashbacks to their lives prior to arriving on the island. And the stories that they choose to show off-island will in some way connect to the character's current story or whatever they want to develop in relation to that character. And you can almost do that with the nightmare scenes. They don't necessarily have to be directly linked to the current story, but they can um, explain something about a character or, or you know, character motivation, whatever it might need to be. Which made the placement of it here all the stranger, where the film has already ended for all intents and purposes. And you have this weird scene, or premonition, or whatever it's supposed to be, nightmare, um, where you have Jared Leto playing the Joker like Jim Carrey for some reason. Um, and I don't know, I still don't really know how to make it a scene. It was just, I was so kind of taken out of the comfort zone by the scene starting because the scene really just starts with no build you you go straight from as i said i don't know aquaman jumping in the sea to batman <laughs> in the desert <laughs> you're like oh what's what's going on here um and then this scene begins batman's talking about what's happened and they're what they got to do and then joker sitting on the hood of the car like i say acting like jim carrey in ace ventura for no reason um Superman appears and then Batman just wakes up uh, looking completely different by the way uh, Ben Affleck I was like who did, could I not get Ben Affleck in he, he's like a hundred pounds lighter than he is elsewhere in the film looking like uh, like George Clooney or someone um, and he has a chat with Martian Manhunter and the film just kind of ends then um, very weird very long epilogue for a film that's already four hours long I'm still not quite sure what as I mentioned earlier, what the comment on that scene was, or why it was why why it was done, why it was placed where it was within the the film's structure, all a bit strange. Um, and then in terms of the score of the film, I was I was happy that it, the film didn't feel too playlisty as Snyder's films tend to. Um, there were. Like, in the first half of the movie more so, there was, like, a handful of... Was there a Nick Cave song or a David Bowie song or something like this? But there wasn't... Um, it wasn't constant, like it is sometimes else. It was more scory, although I will say there was an over-reliance on this one kind of Celtic-y... That they used for, like, um, Celtic-sounding female uh, song that they would use for, like, Wonder Woman. Uh it used way too much but everything else sounded fine 
Um, Jesus, we're at an hour already. Well, let me let me close up here. Um, what did I think overall of Justice League? Um, so as we get to, uh, as I said, the third, fourth, if you want to count the 2017 one, the fourth crack uh, Zack Snyder has had at the um, DC Extended Universe. This is kind of the first, the first time I've seen a Zack Snyder film DC Extended Universe or otherwise that I've kind of come out, you know, positively on. Um, yes, it's four hours. It I wouldn't say it flies by necessarily. It was definitely a long, long film. But I I can't say that I was bored watching it, which is which is a criticism that I would definitely give to Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. As I mentioned earlier, Justice League I I had anyway initially come out of saying, you know, it was. It was uh, it was fine. Um, we didn't have Henry Cavill with the dodgy CGI lip this time. They didn't use any of that reshoot footage, which was obviously for the best. Um, liked the majority of the performances. Thought the uh, length of the film allowed for fleshing out of characters. And like I said, Steppenwolf specifically, Cyborg as well, felt like real characters more so than they did in the original one i did feel a little bit more the sensation and not only because it was divided up into seven parts but i felt more like i was binge watching a tv series than watching a film um and that was maybe okay maybe possibly because of the way it was segmented but also because of the pacing of the film and it felt like you had five six seven like little cliffhanger end of episodes uh, moments and then you would move on to the next one so i wonder um as we know the plan originally was to release it in parts four parts though which makes it all the stranger that there's like six parts in the film um i think it would have worked maybe better i'm not sure but i think it would have worked if they released it in like six parts the epilogue no i don't know what the fuck that epilogue was what i don't think you if people had just got the epilogue on its own i don't know what they would have made of it um, although, as I said, the nightmare scene could have been released later on its own. I think that would have worked. But the rest of the epilogue is kind of nothingy and is just like, oh, the Batman bought the bank. They got the house back. Great. Um, no, overall, I can't say I was bored. I liked a lot of the performances. I liked a lot of the characters, a lot of the set pieces. So, yeah, I mean, as far as not liking Zack Snyder, I think this is the first movie, like I said, that I can come out and say, yeah, it's pretty good. I think I gave it a 7 out of 10 on Letterboxd. Uh, as I've mentioned in the last hour, definitely there's flaws uh, to it. I don't know if I would say that being too long is one of the flaws that I would uh, attribute to it. I don't think it I don't think it was too long. But I think some of the performances, some of the characters uh, lacked a little attention to detail. Um, but otherwise, I thought it was pretty good. Alright folks, you're back with me again, uh, the version of me from the future. Um, if you're still here, well done. <laughs> You've listened to a man ramble f about a film that you probably don't care too much about and that I'll have probably forgotten entirely about uh, this time next week. But um, yeah, please let me know 
you know what you thought of this format if it's something you enjoyed um and yeah otherwise please you know listen to the regular podcast uh treshoppodcast.com it's on spotify on itunes um all the regular places and send us an email we look at emails uh we don't have an email address per se but you can go to treshoppodcast.com click on the little uh email us button at the bottom of the page and you can email us that way you don't even got open your gmail or nothing um so yeah i guess we'll talk to you again on saturday uh about you know what is potential or not saturday <laughs> we haven't done the podcast on a saturday since about 2011 uh, whenever whenever the new podcast comes out we'll talk to you a little bit more about uh, the 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 mystery box and what potentially is next for for this kind of thing so anyway it's a goodbye for me paul griffin and uh i'll talk to you then